about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for Jesus, our wonderful King and Lord. Help us to see, to savour and delight in the wonderful peace and grace which are ours because of Christmas. Amen. Good evening, friends. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. It has been such a joy sitting in this beautiful church, just letting the music wash over you and hearing these wonderful readings. It's kind of an immersion, isn't it, in a story, in all the wonderful aspects of it, uh, in music and in word. It's just wonderful to sit under it, isn't it? Uh, I'm just going to, for a moment, maybe draw the threads of that story together for us so that we might ponder it uh, through the rest of the service as we sing a little bit more. The title we put above all our Christmas events this year is A Thrill of Hope from that wonderful carol that we just 
had sung for us, O Holy Night. A thrill of hope. Hope, that wonderful, remarkable, amazing thing that can reach us in the darkest places of, of life, in whatever is happening for us. But is there any real hope in Christmas anymore? Is there anything really substantial for us to take with us in the strangeness and in the goodness of the life that we've been given? Some would suggest not, in fact. Um, Stan Grant recently reflected on Christmas's past and the Christmases of his present. And he says of now that there is little transcendence left, just pessimism and hopelessness. My Christmases are sadder now than my grandparents, uncles, and aunties are gone. Our world is immeasurably poorer for the loss and derision of faith and the substitute of cynicism. Looking back at Christmas's past and feeling the one present, the difference he sees is between faith and cynicism. The difference between receiving the story as if there's something in it to hang on to, or just deriding it and treating it as nothing. For him, there is the world of difference in experiencing Christmas in those two different ways. And then the latter, we kind of lose the magic of it. This is seen by Richard Glover recently. He got someone up to explain the Christmas story from the first century and got a lot of angry people. So many angry about seven minutes of radio today on the biblical account of the birth of Jesus, featuring an Australian scholar who happens to be one of the world's best. I know many don't believe. I don't. But why so angry about a Christian trip into a foundation text? Here I think we see coming to the head this cynicism in our culture. This unwillingness to maybe consider that maybe there is something substantial for us to take hold of and hope in, in these great texts, in this great story of who Jesus was and is. What we hear in Luke 2 just read for us, as angels proclaim it to shepherds on a hillside in ancient Judea, that they bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That there is something that happens at Christmas that is wonderfully joyful and remarkable and good and substantial something that can be hoped in in dark places. There is something for us here, the angels say. But what is it? Well, he speaks of David, in the town of David, a Savior being born to us. He is Messiah, the Lord. Messiah, the Lord. Those are political terms, like prime minister or president. They speak of a king. This is a political announcement after an election night of who is finally in power. It's not really good news to Australians, is it? People coming into power. Of all things we are most cynical of, is it not them? And yet the angels say that this turnover of power in this little boy is good news of great joy. 
So how could we not be cynical about it, but find something substantial in it? Let me tell you two things in the backstory that we've read tonight that might help us understand why he might be good news. The first is that he is, as Isaiah says, this wonderful phrase, that he is and he will be the Prince of Peace. Did you see that earlier in the reading? To us a child is born, a son is given, and all these beautiful names, he's named the Prince of Peace. What a wonderful phrase of someone who in whose presence war ceases and things just get a little bit better, who is the greatest at bringing it about. We read of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to understand how peace could increase. That's odd, isn't it? Normally we're at war or we're at peace. Normally things are not going all right or they're going all right. But here is a peace that can grow, a peace that builds, that finds crescendos, that finds greater heights as time goes on, a peace that is not just the absence of what is negative, but the presence of something profoundly good. It's like an orchestra. They can be out of tune or they can be in tune. But when they're in tune and when they can read each other and when everything falls into place, something beautiful happens. The harmonies increase and the heights are higher and more beautiful. Or we all know that the the, the Christmas family table can be one of war or of peace. There's a type of peace around the family table that sometimes happens every now and then, every now and then, where people don't just get along, but the laughs lead to more laughs and honest moments, and everyone seems to be relating to everyone else, and there's this joy in just being together. It's not just that nothing bad is happening. It's that something beautiful is. I think that's what Isaiah means by peace. That somehow everything can find its place. It's not just that there aren't bad things. But when everything finds its place, it's like the heights are higher. And there's this presence of something beautiful. You know, to be a king who can bring that about is very profound. We've had political leaders over the last couple of years make decisions that are all compromises in the end, aren't they? Decisions for health at the cost of the economy contact, of relationship. And maybe now we're swinging back the other way. And we look onto these leaders who are trying to make decisions, but they always have to compromise on some good. Whether health or psychological health or relationship or economy, there's no perfect decision. But what Isaiah says about Jesus is that he is able to perfectly arrange all the parts so they sing together. That he can make a government work where everything works and everything is good all at once because he's the Prince of Peace. But how can he do that? Well, he'll have the wisdom of heaven and he'll have a heart with the lowly. This beautiful passage from Isaiah 42 speaks of the same figure as having the Spirit on him. 
And he'll make decisions not by what he sees, but by this kind of perspective of heaven, by the wisdom and insight of the living God who can see through all things. He'll not just make them based on models and graphs and data, but on, with the wisdom of heaven. He'll see clearer and further and deeper and more thoroughly than any leader of any time. But not only that, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He doesn't come in and crush his kingdom over us, but he comes among us and is so gentle that even when we're feeling broken and bent over, he won't break us. He is gentle and close and near and tender. He has the wisdom of heaven, but comes close with gentleness and tenderness. In faithfulness, he'll bring forth justice, and he he won't falter. He won't give up. He won't give in. He won't be sidelined by ideologies or by other people's ideas. He will not give up until he establishes justice on the earth. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. You see, this kind of person is good news. This kind of leader is the leader we long for. With the wisdom of heaven, who gently bears with the lowly, and who can knit everything back together again. If these things are true of Jesus, then the angels are right. To this Jesus born in the manger, He is good news that can cause great joy. So what do we do with that? Well, why don't we respond as Mary did? Mary, as she hears the shepherds and as she looks on what's happening and she looks at the baby's baby in her arms, we read that she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's a beautiful phrase because we don't hear Mary naively taking them up. The answer to our cynicism is not just kind of leaving our brains behind and diving naively in. That's not what Mary does. She treasures the things she's heard. She chooses to not forget them. She chooses to linger over them, to ponder them, to consider them, to let them into the recesses of her heart. Maybe that's what we need this Christmas. To let the Prince of Peace have a little territory in our heart. To just remember for a few moments longer. To remember the day after this night together. To consider maybe, just maybe, he is the best news our world has ever heard. Prince Treasure, the thoughts feelings, the words, the songs you hear tonight, ponder them in your heart because the Prince of Peace has come among us and if you come to him, he will not crush you. He will give you his peace. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.